So a couple things about me. Liz, her story is true. Uh, one of my biggest fears is people walking into my car, and it happened. So come on, Women's Retreat, and watch my fears come true, I guess. Um, but secondly, I um, am not from the South, and there are some things that I uh, believe that make me a bad Southerner. Um, for instance, I'm not really that into history, especially like war history. Um, well, I was a women's studies minor, so I had to take a lot of history classes. My favorite thing to do with history is to make things up. Um, so if you ever come on a mission trip with me and we are on a tourist day, don't believe anything that I have to say because it is all a bunch of lies. Um, all, all of that to say, right now in our student internship, we are working on um, going through this thing called Strength Finders where we're discovering the things that these interns are really like just naturally strong out and developing those. And every year when I do this, the big strength that comes out that I just am oftentimes like just inspired by is the strength of context or this theme of context. And when people have a theme or a strength of context, what that means is that they have trouble understanding their present until they look at the past. That if your friend has context as a theme, they're the people that have to tell you every single detail about something that happened so that, they, so that you can understand what's happening right then. They're the ones that have to make sure that the date and the time of a situation have been told to you. They're the ones that feel unknown by somebody unless you know their background, their people, where they came from. And they don't feel like they know you unless they know all those things about you. They're ones that look back because they have to look back to understand their present. And when they're healthy, they make really great decisions about their future because they can look back and see how things would influence the future. And so with this idea of context in mind, we're going to look at our scripture tonight in light of our sermon series. And for those of you that have been here, you know that we're walking through the entire Bible, looking at these big themes, telling, telling us this bigger story of what God is up to. And in right now, we have reached the point where we are talking about Jesus. But I hope what you've recognized is that Jesus is not just showing up for the first time. That he was and he is and he is to come. That there is context around Jesus. That in all of our sermons, whether it was creation or the exile or prophets and priests and kings, that you've heard us talk about Jesus through all of it. So now that we have reached this point where we are opening up the Gospels, and then we'll continue to open up the New Testament, that it is not this new thing that has come to mind. Yet, what I see in us as now post-New Testament believers is we don't give a ton of emphasis on, on Jesus as the fulfillment, the Messiah that showed up in the Old Testament. And so tonight, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk first and show you that Jesus existed in so many ways in the Old Testament. And then second, I want to talk about why we don't really 
obsess over that or get really excited about that. But before I dive into that, I, I just feel convicted to be like, I'm talking about Jesus, and we're really going to talk about a lot of his qualities, and so I just want to quickly be like, here's who he is. So first of all, he is the triune God. He is God made manifest. The fullness of God exists in him. He is 100% human, 100% God. He says that he is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the good shepherd. He is the protector. I was going to show this video about all of these attributes of Jesus, and then it was five and a half minutes, and I thought, there's no way. So instead, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to read John 1 for you, just some of it, because I want you to get this picture of who Jesus is as we talk about who he is in context. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was the life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent by God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people, and they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he is before me. For the fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, only the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I um, pray for my words that who you are, who you've always been would would ring true and be heard, that you would open up eyes and hearts tonight. Um, thank you. Thank you, thank you that you have come for us and that you are who you are. We pray this all in your name. Amen. All right, so quickly I want to talk about Jesus actually showing up in the Old Testament. And I'm going to talk about three different things, and Jonathan's going to roll his eyes at this because he comes from a Southern Baptist background where alliteration is all the rage, so I apologize. Um, but we see God in the Old Testament, we see Jesus in the Old Testament, promised and patterned and present. So first, where we see him promised, some scholars have found that Jesus, a, a very direct prophecy about the Messiah to come has been found over 574 times. And those are direct prophecies, 
promises about who Jesus is and what he would come and do. And some of those are debated, but there are, we just like, you look through the Old Testament and you find prophecy and promise after promise about Jesus who is to come. Jews for Jesus' awesome organization posted a list, Tucker's going to kind of scroll through that, of the top 40 foretellings, messianic prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. And it's everything from these big things that he's going to come and die and resurrect to he's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be from the line of David. He's going to be called Nazarene. There's all of these promises that are shared so that when the Jews are looking for who this Messiah is, and Messiah means this leader, this person that's going to come save the world. So when they're looking for this Messiah, they're not tricked by these false prophets, these false messiahs, because they've been given so clearly what he will come and what he will look like. And that to me is so kind because I think about the number of meetings I go to where I don't know who I'm meeting with. So I'm sitting at a coffee shop and, you know, I'm like making eye contact with anybody that's by themselves and it's really awkward. But what's really nice so they text me and say, here's the color shirt I'm wearing. Here's my hair color. And Jesus gives us way more than the color of shirt he's going to wear and his hair color. These promises are scattered throughout the Old Testament, letting us know who he is and then he fulfills them. And then we see him patterned. And what I mean by this is, Throughout the Old Testament, we see God at work and these things happening. And then Jesus comes on the scene. He moves in a similar way, and he steps into these patterns. And so when people see him, it's not like, what? What is that? I've never seen that before. But the way he works is more of like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I've been prepared for this. A super easy pattern that we see often is that God comes in the midst of the mess of his people. He guides them towards his ideals. So we see him do this in the Exodus, that he comes into the midst of his people. And through Moses and through his presence in the tabernacle, he guides them to the promised land. So when Jesus shows up incarnate and comes into our mess and guides us, it's not a big surprise. And we, we like being prepared. So once again, God is being kind. The number of times people have asked me if Jax, my almost two-year-old, is prepared to be a big brother, I'm like, I don't really know how to do that. But we care about preparation. And so how cool is it that God has prepared his people with these patterns for years and years and years? And then we see him present. There's lots of different thoughts and debates about where Jesus himself was actually present in the Old Testament. Paul claims that the rock that Moses got water out of when they were wandering in the wilderness was actually Jesus himself. This story of Haggai, Ishmael's mother, encounters an angel, meaning a sent one. And she talks to him and, and says... Lord, you're the one that sees me. We believe that was Jesus there. And who knows which of these specific situations was Jesus, but we know that Jesus is a triune God, and so when God shows up, it is him, and we know 
through scriptures that he was the firstborn of all creation, that he holds all things together. He is in all things. He was before the foundations of the earth. So he was present even in the Old Testament. And I'd love to be able to like walk all of you through, like look at this scripture and see where he did this and look at this and see where he was present. Um, But really what I want for you is I want you to be excited to do that yourself. I want you to look and tear the Bible up and be like, oh my goodness, this is Jesus. And I'd love to do it with you if you want. I've got Jesus Storybook Bible, and that's a really great way to start. I've got printouts of the Jews for Jesus, Messianic prophecies for you, even start there. But I want you to have fun with it. And and so what what I'm going to do right now is I want to just show you how to do that with one scripture, so then you can continue to take that on with yourself. So we're going to look at Genesis 3. Very beginning, Jesus shows up. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of a tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, why have you done that? And she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your heel, and you shall bruise his— Sorry, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living things— And the Lord God made for Adam and his for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So here in the scripture we see the promise. We see that in this curse, God has cursed the serpent and said, the offspring of this woman, which is Jesus, you'll have enmity between him. And we see sin strike at the heel of Jesus, killing him. Yet then we see Jesus crush his head by resurrecting and beating and having victory over sin and death. We see a promise of him to come and him fulfilling that. Then we see a pattern. We see patterns of ourselves. Shame. When we feel shame, we run and hide. But then God moves towards us. We see that pattern continue throughout Scripture. We see a pattern of when we sin, God clothing us, taking something innocent, sacrificing it for our sakes that we may be clothed with righteousness. He does that with an animal here to clothe Adam and Eve, and he does that for us with himself. And present. He's walking in the cool of the night, and we know that no one has seen God. And Jesus is the 
the image of the invisible God, so who is walking in the cool of the night? Really what I'm trying to just emphasize to you guys is that Jesus doesn't show up for the first time in the pages of Matthew, the first of the Gospels in our New Testament. And in fact, at the very beginning of Matthew, it's this whole genealogy of saying, here's where Jesus came from, here's how he is a fulfillment. Look back, look at his context to know who he is now. And the other Gospels, they do the same. John is what I just read to you a little minute ago, where he's like, this, he was the word at the beginning. It's not just right now. Mark starts with a prophecy from Isaiah pointing towards Jesus. I want you guys to know that Jesus existed far before Christmas morning. So then why is it, if he did exist, if he was part of all of this context of our life, why do we not seem to be really excited about it? Why are we like, that's nice for the Jews that they knew he was coming. That was a good preparation. Because that's part of our story, too. We, as accepting Jesus, this is our family. This is our heritage as well. I want to argue two different reasons why I think we don't get really jazzed about Jesus being the fulfillment of all of these things. First, I think we are very much alike those people that were walking on the road to Emmaus, that scripture that Margot read. That we are foolish, slow of heart, and that we reinterpret life in our own context. And when we do so, what happens is we have a lot of trouble having hope. So I like this passage in Luke because it's very much us. Ordinary people walking on an ordinary road, asking the questions about why of life, wrestling with what in the world Scripture is saying. A lot of us can relate to that, yeah? And as they're doing so, Jesus comes into that dirty road and walks with them and helps them understand what the scriptures were saying. Yet even as he teaches them, even as he walks with them, and they lament, they still on that road do not recognize that it is Jesus. They have these scriptures right in front of them that say that the Messiah must die and would resurrect again, yet they have created their own context, have reinterpreted scripture, and so have trouble even looking at what is right in front of them and seeing what actually happened, believing it to be true because of their misrepresentation. And all the while, Jesus is right there with them and they don't recognize him. And this is what we're doing. We look at this story of Scripture from our own context. We reinterpret it into our own lives. And so we put false promises into God's mouth. We get frustrated when we think that Jesus should act a certain way, do a certain thing, and then he doesn't. 
We think he, he should promise us this happy life, promise us good parents, promise us that we can be parents, promise us that sickness will not happen, promise us a certain career, promise us that life will not feel like a battlefield sometimes. And then when these promises don't come true, we're frustrated and we lose hope. But what we've done is we've misinterpreted, we've reinterpreted Scripture based on, on us. We've made Jesus about us. We don't see him right there walking with us. And so what we do is we ask ourselves, where, where have we misinterpreted Scripture? Where have we created promises that God is telling us that are, actually aren't true? And do we actually know what God's promises are? And if we don't, why don't we care to get to know them? And I would guess we don't want to know the promises of God because we're scared. We're scared that maybe life will actually look like this bigger picture. And maybe we'll look like Abram being called to follow God, but not knowing where or what that would look like. Being called to a bigger picture might look more like Moses, where you're asked to step into this huge leadership position, taking a group of people who are skeptical of you and moving them out of a place that raised you without great ability to speak and to communicate. Maybe we're scared that when we know his promises, it's going to look more like that. Or we're scared that when we know his promises, that we're going to realize that these things that we long for, that we think are going to satisfy us, aren't actually part of his promises. And that we'll be disappointed. That maybe his promises are different than ours. So my question for you is that if you're scared of that, why are you following a king who you don't agree with his promises? Why are you following a king who you do not agree with what abundant life looks like in this life he has in store for you? It's going to be really, really hard to put your faith and hope into something that you are not about. The second reason I think that we don't get jazzed about Jesus being the um, fulfillment of Scripture, being this Messiah, is because we sometimes don't want to be part of the bigger story. Because we do not want to be part of this heritage. And when we don't want to be part of that, what we miss is seeing this beautiful, big redemption story. I know for me, I really do like being special. I like being unique and chosen, being cast differently. But what that ends up doing sometimes is it pulls me out of the body. It pulls me out of the unit, out of the team. 
I like to be seen specifically. I like to be heard specifically. But what that can do in me is move me into isolation, move me into pride. In 1994, uh, there was a NBA semifinals um, game, the Bulls versus the Knicks. And it was 102 to 102 with 1.8 seconds left. And the coach calls a timeout. And after the timeout, to everyone's shock and surprise, Scottie Pippen, who was the big star of the Bulls, the leader of the team was not on the court. And we find out later, the reason he was not on the court was during that timeout, the coach had written up a play, and Pippen was supposed to inbound the ball to midcourt where Kukuk would make the shot. Well, Pippen, when he heard this play, starts cussing and says, I'm tired of this, and sits down, I'm out of the game. He refused to play because he was not the one to make the shot. Luckily, Kukuk made the shot, the Bulls win. But now we look at the story and we see, oh my goodness, this is what life looks like when I make it about me. When I don't want to be part of that bigger story. When all I care about is Jesus being for me, not for anybody else, or for the totality of history. And I had to learn quickly as a ballet dancer that... You can't just take the parts that make you the star. That if I were to have sat out the number of times I got parts that I felt were less than what I deserved or embarrassing, they would have been a lot. But, but what I realize is that it's not about me in those situations. It's about the whole entire show. So why don't I do my best in the part that I've been given? But what we do, we try to make it about us. We don't want to be part of that big story. We want Jesus to be about me, not about those around me. But the truth is, the story of Scripture is actually not about you. It's about Jesus. And then in the crazy turn of events, Jesus says, but, but I'm making this story about you, about redeeming you. First Peter said he's made himself manifest for you. When I say you, I actually am talking about y'all, not just one person, about the whole entire group. And Jesus does care about the specifics of people. He says he will go find all of the lost sheep. And the reality is, just because you're a part of a group, part of a body, that does not make you any less. My yoga teacher the other day went out west and she said she was just so impacted by all of this immense, beautiful creation. She said, I realized as I was looking at all of these national parks how small I was. And then in the next minute she says, but then I also realized what a miracle I was. When we look at the story of Scripture, about, we look at Jesus as just about us, we don't look at the people around us. 
maybe if we start just caring a little bit more about others, we, we might care about where they came from. We might care about the totality of Scripture. Jason, years ago, um, was lament, not lamenting, it was not that big of a deal. He was talking about being bummed about not getting a scholarship for grad school. Um, And I remember what he said next actually has stuck with me for a very long time now. He said, well, I didn't get the scholarship, but that meant that somebody else did. Sometimes when we don't get things, it's not because we're condemned or bad. It's because we are not an individual, but you're part of a collective. You maybe didn't get that scholarship because somebody else did. So we make decisions. We look at the story of Jesus, looking at his body, turning our vision towards others, our vision towards our parents, our vision towards our friends, our roommates, our enemies, and not just at ourselves. And then when we say, okay, I want to be part of a bigger story, what we recognize is that we're looking at Jesus, and we see all of these characteristics of Jesus shine through in his scriptures. Every page we learn things about him. Even at the start of his ministry, he introduces himself by reading Isaiah 61, where he says, I, like the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He preaches good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to comfort those who mourn. We learn more and more about who Jesus is as we take our misinterpretation of Scripture about it just being about me, about Jesus being my personal Savior, recognize that Scripture is telling this bigger story that I am a part of. And then we see we're not alone. And not just with others, but with Jesus himself. Because he says, you are welcome I've welcomed you into my family, which means that we are part of his heritage. He's part of ours. So these places we have come from, he has been there too. And we'd only know that if we look back in Scripture and see where he's come from. We see he has come from slaves. He's also come from those who have enslaved others. He's come from poor. He's come from kings that have way more money than we ever could imagine. He's come from murderers and rapists. And he's come from those who fight for justice and for purity. And not only is that nice because he gets it, he gets where we've come from, but he also has come from there and has the power to heal and to redeem those things. So when we see Jesus in light of this whole story, we get a bigger and better picture of redemption because we know what he is redeeming us from. Sometimes it's hard to say, why did he have to die? I don't get it. Why did he have to raise from the dead? But if we see the whole story, we see how messed up sin has made the world and made us, and we get to rejoice in this huge redemptive work he is doing.
It'd be as if I were to show you this picture of this nice kitchen, (laughs) this nicely shaped man. Good job. And you were to look at both of these pictures. You can show that guy again, Tucker. Um, And you're like, that's nice. (laughs) It's weird. but, but what actually makes us care about this is if we go to the before pictures. If we see, next ones, where that guy came from, how hairy he used to be. And then we see this ordinary kitchen. The after pictures mean so much more to us when we see the before, when we see this transformation. You can take that off. (laughs) But being able to see the full context, looking back, seeing the full story, and Jesus is part of all of it, we get a better glimpse of what redemption looks like. We see that he needed to come and die for the sin that entered into the world. We see how hard he worked weaving this story together so that he would offer us forgiveness of sins. And when we look at this all in context, what it offers us is a whole lot of hope. Because we see his promises fulfilled. And so we look forward and say, okay, he's fulfilled those and these new promises he has And the ones he did before, he's going to fulfill them, and so I have hope in that. And we look around, and we have trouble seeing him. We see these patterns that we've noticed all throughout Scripture, that he is right here. He is walking with me. I see these patterns. And then we know he is present. The Holy Spirit, the other part of the triune God, dwells among us, and he is present here and now. So we have hope because we see this Jesus who was and is and is to come. So I hope not only do you know that Jesus didn't just start on Christmas Day, but I hope that you are excited and interested and desire to know context of Jesus because it actually does affect you. And it affects the ones around you, right here and out there. And because if you are longing for hope in life, the way to gain that is to get to know this Jesus in all of Scripture even more, because he will bring that hope into your life. I I want to end by reading the intro to the Jesus Storybook Bible because it's beautiful. I just want this to stir, stir our hearts to continue to know Jesus, who was and is and is to come. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It is a wonderful, it is the most wonderful of fairy tales that comes true in real life. 
You see, the best thing about this story is that it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of this story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. This is no ordinary baby. This is a child upon whom everything would depend. This is a child who would one day, but wait. Our story starts where all good stories start. Right at the very beginning. Let me pray. Father God, I am so grateful that you started at the beginning. That you love us. I'm so grateful that you did not just, I don't know, shake us. I don't, I don't really know. I'm just so thankful that you sent your son to dwell among us, that you came here to redeem us and to forgive us and to offer us new life and hope for the future. May we participate in that new life and follow you. As we enter into this time of communion, what I think is so fascinating about the scripture that Margot read is that it wasn't until the breaking of bread that these men on the road to Emmaus had their eyes opened and they recognized Jesus. And we've been offered this table to remember what Jesus has done. To remember that he has offered us all forgiveness of our sins and new life. He's invited us to step into that new life. And so I pray tonight as you come and you take communion that you too would have eyes that would be open that you would see that God is walking with you in the midst of the dirt and the confusion and the joys. That you would come to this table and remember that God is walking with you. So as we take this minute of silence, if you would like to reflect or pray on something, pray that those eyes would be opened, that you would see him there in the breaking of bread. But take a minute to just reflect and enjoy this silence. <laughs> 